Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. I am one of two hosts today. The other host joining me is Daniel Sun. Yo. And today's topic is Men in Black. But before we get into it, let me do a quick announcement. We don't run any ads or take any money from corporations, elite reptilian lizard people, or homeless Bigfoots. So if you'd like to help us out, a written review on iTunes helps the show tremendously. If you don't want to leave one, though, that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, Ghosts, Holograms, Human Clones, Dark Web Lurkers, Agent J's, and K's, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. Also, if any of you would like to reach out to us, you can shoot us a message on Instagram or Facebook, or you can go to our website, click the contact button, and there you will find our email addresses. Also, on our website, you can leave us a voicemail with your phone, and we will review it and listen to it. So. With that being said, I guess it's time to hop into Men in Black, huh? Yeah, it is. All right. Actually, before we start, I, I kind of want to explain like how we're going to do today's episode. So I'm going to kind of give you a summary of what the Men in Black is or who they are. And then we're going to go over the backstory and the origins of the Men in Black. And then we'll go into facts supporting it. Like uh, we review some government documents that we've uncovered that talk about the Men in Black and some FBI documents and other stuff like that. And then we'll go into personal encounters and interviews, and then we'll wrap everything up with thoughts and theories. The first thing is the summary. So let me kind of give you a quick summary of who or what the men in black are before we get into the backstory and the origins of them. So obviously we've heard the movie of the men in black, right, with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones anyways. The Men in Black conspiracy concentrates on a particular shadow government agency that handles intergalactic and extraterrestrial affairs, not to be confused with Space Force, as the Men in Black don't perform space travel. According to our research, the Men in Black act more of a deterrent for us humans from speaking out about the incidents and spreading potential chaos and anxiety. Many incidents with the Men in Black occur within days of UFO encounters with the general public. The mystery of the Men in Black remains unveiled, but their tracks, though disguised, are not completely hidden. The discussion we are about to have amongst ourselves will uncover the cases and incidences that brought to light the elusive and covert Men in Black. So, Danielson, could you tell us some of the backstory of the Men in Black? Oh, I would love to, A.A. Ron. Now, I don't want to... Try to bore you guys, so I'll try to get through this as quickly and make it enjoyable. Oh, do we have a Montauk chair involved? We do. We do. Oh, boy. That's my favorite. So, hop into that Montauk chair, buckle up. We're not traveling too far, but we're still traveling. Oh, All right. yes. June 27th, 1947. Okay. Cue the noise, Aaron. <laughs> we're here. <laughs> From what I found, it all started on this day, June 27, 1947. It could be traced back to a man named Harold Dahl. How this story starts is Mr. Dahl and his son Charles and the family dog were on a conservation mission on the Puget Sound near the eastern shore of Washington's Maury Island, gathering logs. That is when this man saw six donut-shaped objects hovering about half a mile above his boat. 
Not soon after spotting these flying donuts, one had come crashing down only 1,500 feet away from him. After it had crashed, he was showered with metallic debris, which had hit Charles in the arm and as well as the family dog, who sadly did not survive this deadly rainfall. Damn it. Mr. Dahl was able to take some pictures of this aircraft with his camera, which he had later shown his supervisor. Back then, pictures would have taken at least an hour to develop black and white film, so he had to wait an hour before he showed his supervisor. Do you have this picture? Were you able to find it? No, I was not able to find these pictures. Damn it. I searched. Could not find them. So, Fred Chrisman, Mr. Dahl's supervisor, was very skeptical of this claim and the photos that he was shown. He decided to go and see for himself. That's when he saw the strange aircraft with his own eyes. The next morning, Mr. Dahl had a visitor, a man dressed in a black suit. They ended up going on a breakfast date to a local diner where the mysterious black-suited man was able to go into extreme detail about what Mr. Dahl had experienced. Now, that's how you get inside someone's head. Take them to breakfast. Tell them about their night before. I wonder, what they, I wonder what they ate talking about UFOs. You know, probably like a sunny-side-up egg that looks like the shape of a UFO. Probably one of those, when you, when you go to IHOP and you get those pancakes with the smiley faces on them, you know? Oh. That's what they probably got. Anyways. So this man said to Mr. Daw, what I have said is proof to you that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe. So after this visit from the men in black, Mr. Daw was told not to speak of the incident. If he did, bad things would happen. But something bad has already happened. This man lost his dog. That's pretty damn bad if I say so myself. What about your dicks? I mean, the kid getting you hit know? in the arm. Yeah, that's that's cool and all. But this man lost his dog. So. He was sitting there moving logs, and he saw three donut-shaped things and one crashed down. Six donut things, and Six. supposedly one came crashing down. And I guess as it was flew over crashing, I guess metal sludge-type debris fell and hit his son in the arm. And He didn't open up the aircraft to go take it for a joyride or anything? No, he just supposedly saw his dog laying there and then just decided to take pictures. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, yeah, he, he must have been pretty upset. I mean, if his dog died, you know, and his, he's worried about these metallic debris or whatever. Yeah, I could see where he was pretty upset. So, so these supposed events on Maury Island continue to fuel conspiracy theories, even though the U.S. government investigation deemed it a hoax. Yeah, because they're always right, huh? Yeah. So which afterwards, Mr. Daw and Mr. Chrisman later admitted as much, but said that they only admitted it to it being a hoax to avoid bringing harm to their family. Dog's already been hurt. Spilled beans, man. Well, they probably, eh, probably for their own well-being they were worried, you know? Yeah. Days after Mr. Dahl's dog passing away horrifically, the famous sighting by Kenneth Arnold, a pilot, took place at Mount Rainer in Washington State, which seemed to be the first widely reported sighting, which it touched off the saucer sensation, they call it, as written in a 1949 government report on flying saucers. And I just want to throw in a little bit, tad bit of information on uh, Mr. Arnold. He was an experienced pilot who had more than 9,000 hours of flying time. He had diverted from his flight plan that day from Chihalas to Yakima, Washington, to search for a Marine Corps C-46 transport plane that was reported down in the Cascades near Mount Rainier. He did a quick sweep of the area and then resumed his original course. <laughs> This guy, he wasn't searching for money. He was dropping drugs. 
That's what I'm I mean, it's the time. It's the time frame yeah. of the CIA running drugs. This dude was a drug <laughs> mule. He yeah. was for the CIA. He wasn't yeah. just looking for no plane. Yeah. So Kenneth Arnold, he saw an UFO when he went. He diverted off course. So what's the perfect cover up for dropping drugs off and saying, "Oh, I saw a UFO too." <laughs> <laughs> this, guy, this guy, oh my God. So anyways, there was a reporter named Ray Palmer who worked for the Chicago Magazine, contacted Mr. Arnold, hoping he would go and verify Mr. Dahl's and Mr. Christmas' story of the UFO. Mr. Arnold agreed to do so and flew from Boise, Idaho to Tacoma and met with the two gentlemen along with two United States Army Air Corps investigators that were requested by Mr. Arnold to help with the investigation. See, this fits along with the, the CIA thing and him running drugs. He, Mr. Yes. Arnold's sitting there. Ray Palmer's like, hey, uh, why don't you go you know, help with these, uh, these two UFO things? And Mr. Arnold's like, fuck, dude, this, is, this guy's taking it way out of control. This story went way too far. Let me go get some two U.S. Uh, Army Air Corps guys, investigators, and get them to back me up in this, you know? Yeah. You know, it's just, it's weird, though, that the reporter is like, oh, this guy, he's a pilot. He saw a UFO, too. But you know what? Let, let's send him to go, you know, interview these other two guys that say they saw a UFO. Why would you do that? I don't understand. Uh, I don't either. I don't either. That's weird. Yeah. So they ended up meeting up at the hotel in uh, Tacoma. But Mr. Dahl ended up leaving the hotel they were having the meeting at because he felt a danger to himself if the story got any more publicity than it already had, especially remembering the warning he got from the man in black. So after the two investigators left the hotel, they had to fly back for Air Force Day event in, uh, I think it was Hamilton Field, California. And that's because Air Force Day, like the next day, was pretty much when they were separating and becoming a separate branch of the military. So that's when the Air Force, I guess, was created. Hold on. When you were saying Mr. Dahl ended up leaving the hotel because he was, he felt a danger to himself because of the men in black. Oh, you're talking about, okay, all right. About yeah, so the, the uh, morning he got that during breakfast. Oh, with that one guy and they ate at IHOP with those. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With the smiley face pancakes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so all right. Mr. Dahl ended up meeting with uh, Mr. Arnold, Chrisman, and the two army corpse guys okay and that's where he freaked out and was like fucking i'm out of here my dog yeah. already died i don't want anything to do with this exactly so those two investigators left to head back to hamilton field and somehow the plane's left engine caught fire and ended up crashing near kelso washington what? there were two people who had survived the plane crash one was a flight crew member and the other was supposedly a hitchhiker who had no name <laughs> what yeah. Hold on. Hold on. So <laughs> the investigators get on a plane leaving to go back after they after they supposedly investigate this with Mr. Dahl and Ray Palmer and, and all of them and Chrisman. Right. Yep. They get on to head back and on the plane with them, of course, is the pilot and supposedly a hitchhiker. Yep. The plane's left engine catches fire. It crashes. And only two people survive, a flight crew member and a hitchhiker who had no name. Yep. And the, the two investigators did not survive the crash. Dude, that's CIA. That's CIA. This is not Men in Blight. This is CIA. So the two Air Force Army or the United States Army Air Corps, you know, they're used to flying planes, piloting planes and stuff. 
They should have been able to get parachutes as well don't, and get out of there. Yeah, don't they have parachutes in the planes for things like this? They do. Oh, my God. Unless they try to be heroes and they gave the supposed hitchhiker a parachute. That's a that's the biggest fuckery. It's like, who picks up a hit? Imagine that. Imagine being a hitchhiker saying, hey, guys, I need to head back uh, towards California. You think I can hop a ride? They're like, yeah, sure. Why not? We don't know who the hell you are. Come hop on a government plane. We don't give a shit. Yeah, see, I'm thinking that these planes that they were using were like those small jet planes that had like the two engines on the side and probably like a four, six seater, maybe. Yeah. That's how I'm thinking. And I'm guessing this hitchhiker was this guy just like, hey, you guys flying back that way? Might as well go back to town with y'all. Secretly, he's back there with his neuralizer and alien plasma gun (laughs) yeah but yeah so you know the investigators didn't survive and also a piece of slag as they call it from the unidentified ship was on board and that had gone missing as well oh so they they took a piece of the unidentified aircraft that they went and saw the ufo yeah i'm thinking it's the one that killed the dog okay and that was his son okay and that was on board of the plane and it was gone missing when it crashed Correct. Oh, man, there's so many good things that could have happened. You know, it could be a CIA downed it. could be the government downed it. could be the piece became activated, and it was actually like a transformer. And, the, and that's probably what started the engine fire? Yep. I don't know. So many uh, so many possibilities. But anyways, so that's, that's, that's pretty interesting, you know. That's the start of the Men in Black, the first story ever told of the men in black so that leads us up to the question does the u.s government have files on the men in black you know all right can i throw in another little fun random fact go ahead go ahead throw it in so while searching this up fred chrisman the supervisor he hit some uh little red flags for me as i was searching him up as well In 1969, Fred Crispin was subpoenaed by Jim Garrison to testify in the case against Clay Shaw in the JFK assassination. And then, supposedly, he was actually part of multiple conspiracies up until his death in 1975. So this man was all over the place, involved in, like, all kinds of conspiracies and shit. And who was this Fred Crimson again? He was Dahl's supervisor, right? Yeah. Dude, that's that's so weird. Especially being subpoenaed for... uh, case against clay shaw and the jfk assassination yeah he's got his that's, hands that's in, huge he's probably a reptilian an illuminati reptilian no doubt no doubt in my mind oh no doubt i just want to know if he sheds his skin <laughs> you want to wear it like a like a skin suit just just wear it crawl on the, like get on the floor and start slithering around be like i'm a snack i'm a snack <laughs> all right so so this all leads us up to the question does the u.s government have files on the men in black you know is there any fact supporting the men in black? And the answer is yes, to a degree they do. So we've combed the archives of government documents that are legally viewable to the public eyes. And there's a few that we found. So I need you to hop in your Montauk chair, Daniel. Oh, I'm in it. I'm strapped in. Okay, we're going back to 1952. It's not that far. Woo-hoo. So oh, we're, we're going into the future from 1947 now. Yeah, so we were in 47. Now we're going to 1952. All right, I'm buckled in. I'm ready. The Air Force is now created. Okay, yeah, the Air Force is now <laughs> created in 1952. So are you familiar with Project Blue Book? Uh, I've heard of it. I haven't do- I dove into it yet. 
Okay. But I hear lots of things. Yeah, it's fact. It, it happened, and it happened in 1952. And uh, the United States Air Force conducted a series of systematic studies on unidentified flying objects that they called Project Blue Book. So this project had two goals. The first goal was to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security. And then the second goal was to scientifically analyze UFO-related data. This project of them studying UFOs lasted 18 years. And by the time it had ended by the government, it had collected 12,618 UFO reports. All this is public. This is not made up. You can go on and look up government actual real government documents about this Project Blue Book and all their UFO reports. So why do I bring this Project Blue Book up? Well, in 2015, the Project Blue Book documents were unclassified and made public on the FBI website for anyone and everyone to view. So in these unclassified documents, there are a couple of references to the Men in Black, and we're going to cover them right quick. So the first reference I found was in 1967, and it was from Colonel George P. Freeman, who was the spokesperson for the Project Blue Book at the Pentagon. He expressed his concern about the men in black. He said in a document, and I quote, Mysterious. Do a voice. Do a voice. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't do a voice today. No, I can't do a voice today. So mysterious men dressed in Air Force uniforms are all in black and bearing impressive credentials from government agencies, have been silencing UFO witnesses. We have checked a number of these cases, and these men are not connected to the Air Force in any way. We haven't been able to find out anything about these men. By posing as Air Force officers and government agents, they are committing a federal offense. We would sure like to catch one. Unfortunately, the trail is always too cold by the time we hear about these cases, but we are still trying. So his quote was, he acknowledges there is these men in black that are going and questioning people. And he's saying it's a federal offense and they want to catch them. So they're thinking it's kind of like imposters or maybe foreign agents, right? Yeah. Which it seems a little strange, right? Well, it gets stranger. So a month later, actually less than a month later, the following happened. And get ready for this dude's title because this dude has the longest title in the entire world. The Assistant Vice Chief of Staff of the United States Air Force Lieutenant General Hewitt T. Willis. Jesus Christ, that dude. So this guy, this General Hewitt T. Willis, he sent a memo on March 1st, 1967 to various agencies in the Department of Defense. This memo was also in the Project Blue Book unclassified documents, and this is what it said. Information not verifiable has reached United States Air Force that persons claiming to represent the Air Force or other defense establishments have contacted citizens who have sighted unidentified flying objects. In one reported case, an individual in civilian clothes who represented himself as a member of NORAD demanded and received photos belonging to a private citizen. In another, a person in an Air Force uniform approached local police and other citizens who had sighted a UFO, assembled them in a school room, and told them that they did not see what they thought they saw and that they should not talk to anyone about the sightings. All military and civilian personnel 
and particularly information officers and UFO investigating officers who hear of such reports should immediately notify their local OSI offices. So that report was sent out by this General Ulyss on March 1st to various agencies. So that's, again, another government document that it confirms that there's these individuals that are questioning people about seeing UFOs. Mm. Odd, right? Very odd. So the fact that they're able to get away without being caught still. Yes. And the fact that they know that these people or individuals saw this UFO and the fact that they knew a UFO was in the area makes you think, right? Like, are they the ones flying it or are they, I don't know. We'll get into that in their theories because I'm, I'm now thought of another theory. So that's the project blue book, but, um, and the references to men in black and that I found some more documents in the FBI vaults. So in the early 1950s, a man named Albert Bender established the international flying saucer bureau and was supposedly repeatedly harassed by the men in black. Because of this, Albert Bender closed down his International Flying Saucer Bureau after receiving repeated menacing visits from these men in black. Then, in 1956, a man named Gray Barker went and talked to Albert Bender and decided to write and publish a book titled They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. A significant percentage of this book was focused on the men in black experiences that Albert Bender had. As a result of the publication of Gray Barker's book, a number of people contacted the FBI demanding to know who the dark-suited silencers really were, and particularly because certain UFOologists such as Gray Barker were claiming these men in black were from, quote-unquote, the government. So these people contacted the FBI. God damn it, who are these men in black? I read in this book that y'all got going around looking for UFOs, you motherfuckers. I know you got them around here. Who are these guys? I know these some bitches work for you. Yeah. They told me. <laughs> I'm trying to fucking find me some of these UFOs. Who are these people? Who are these people? I'm sure they're saying that, though. I'm sure they're like, where? Who are these, these men in black? Anyways, uh, so so why do I mention this Gray Barker and these men in black? Well, the FBI has declassified some of its documents on Albert Bender and Gray Barker. Yeah, they had documents on them, which were very interesting to say the least. In these documents, it showed that on January 22nd, 1959, none other than J. Edgar Hoover, who at the time was the first director of the FBI, instructed the Chicago office of the FBI to, and I quote, the Bureau desires to obtain a copy of the book written by Gray Barker entitled, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. That is all. That's it. All records stop there. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So the freaking director of the FBI. So this Albert Bender, he says, oh, I've seen all these UFOs. I've seen the men in black come and visit me because of it. This Gray Barker comes and says, I want to write a book about it. Writes the book that's they knew too much about flying saucers. The director of the FBI says, get me a copy of that book. And make sure it's signed. And <laughs> <laughs> make sure it's signed. And I want a piece of that alien penis on it. No. So, yeah, that's uh, that, that's it. That's all the records stop there. No other records reference it. J. Edgar Hoover doesn't reference it after that. That's it. So you know what's interesting is the fact that, you know, he contacted the Chicago office and then Ray Palmer worked for a newspaper in Chicago. The fact that all this stuff is like happening in Chicago makes me think. 
well, something's going on in Chicago. Well, yeah, the the F, I'm sure the FBI and people working for the FBI drop like little leaks to the news to the writers or the journalists who do the news in Chicago. You know, oh yeah, they probably work hand in hand. But anyways, control the media. That is true. They do control the media. So what happened to Albert Bender? Well, he quit UFOlogy in 1960s, and as for Gray Barker, he he continued to both write and publish books up until the time of his death in 1984. So in my opinion, clearly, not only does the above documentation demonstrate that the men in black had nothing to do with the government, but it also shows that the government had no more understanding of who the men in black were than did the average UFO researcher. Or did they? Dun, dun, dun. I, I don't know, man. It's... Yeah. <sighs> Either they're covering up, covering it up really good, which they probably are, or they don't really know who these people are. I have a theory, but damn, do I want to cover it now? I'll wait till after the personal encounters. Actually, fuck it. I'll say it right now. Say it. Let's do it. So my theory is maybe that the government didn't know who or what these UFOs were, and maybe they were thinking they were some outside foreign country that had developed this advanced technology that they were unaware of and they developed or created this black book like off the record black book government group to investigate these ufo crashes to make sure that they weren't some other country and by investigating them They were like, oh, shit, they aren't some other country. This is another, this is out of the earth. These people aren't even connected to earth. Or it could have been another country. It could have been the Nazis survived and they were flying around in their UFOs from hollow earth. So this group you're saying is like probably the government created them, but they're just like, if you ever get caught, we don't know you. We have no affiliation to you. You you are not part of our like country. Yes. Pretty much is what you're saying. Yes. And only a select people, only a select few knew about who this group, right? Maybe J. Edgar Hoover did know about this group. And that's why he wanted to get the book that said uh, they knew too much about flying saucers because he wanted to see how much that Gray Barker knew. That's why all these people go and investigate these people who saw the UFO to see if they know who really are these UFOs or whatever, you know, to see if they're outside influence. Okay. That's, that's one of my theories. We just dipped our toes in before we get into, you know, some personal encounters and interviews. Oh, that's nice. Yes, it is nice. So this next thing, we're going to kind of go into some other personal encounters and interviews that the people had with the men in black. So we covered the first, the, the origins of it. We kind of covered a, kind of like a, a story about how it started and the first time anybody talked about the men in black. Then we talked about yeah. government documents to back it up, right? So we know it's factual. Now we go into other personal experiences and encounters that people had with the men in black. Um, the first one we're going to cover is Dan Aykroyd. You, you know who he is, right, Dan? Oh, yeah. So Dan Aykroyd, of course, played in the Ghostbusters, but... So this guy's an actor, famous actor, and he has he's a comedian, actor, producer, writer, 
super successful businessman. His net worth in 2015 was around, what, $135 million. And we're about to hear an audio of him, an audio of him explaining his encounter with the men in black. But before we do, i kind of give you a summary of what happened before he encountered these men in black. So in 2002, Dan Aykroyd signed a contract with the Sci-Fi Network or with the Sci-Fi Channel to produce a series on UFOs called Out There. During a break in the taping of the final episode, Dan Aykroyd stepped outside to have a cigarette and he was standing on a busy New York street when he encountered some men and a vehicle that just disappeared. So that's where we're going to pick off, uh, pick up off at, at this audio. And Dan Aykroyd's going to tell you for himself what happened when he stepped out during the filming of this. So we'll play that right now. I was outside in, before I knew it was canceled, in between the interviews. And uh, I was outside, and Britney Spears called me because she wanted to, me to appear on Saturday Night Live with her. And so I picked I was outside having a cigarette. The phone rang. Uh, I, I, oh, Brittany, how you doing? Oh, sure, of course I will. I turned away like this. I turned back, and there was a black Ford across the road, a black Ford sedan. And I, I was trying to look at the plate, and the plate seemed kind of like fuzzy, and I was, you know, definitely a police car. And two guys were there, and a big, big, tall guy got out of the back seat, and he stood in the street on, um, on 42nd Street, it was. We, we were at 42nd Street and 8th Avenue, and he looked right at me. And literally, I mean, I was on the phone. Hey, oh, sure, of course I'd love for the show. Saw the Ford, went back like this, turned back like a half second later, and it was gone. And that car did not go past me. It did not make a U-turn because I would have seen 42nd Street. I would have seen that thing take a U-turn and go away. That car vanished. That car was a cloaked vehicle of some type. And whether this was like a warning to me because the guy cut out of the backseat gave me a real dirty look. That car vanished. I know what I saw. And... Uh, you know, I, I, it, was, it was just this fast. It was, oh, hi, Brittany, sure. Oh, of course, I'd love to. God gives me a dirty look. Oh, well, sure, car gone. That's what happened. And uh, then two hours later, uh, we were told we were not to continue taping, and the show was canceled, and none of them would air. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Was that, uh, was that an MIB experience, you know, black helicopters? So, um, hmm. What do you think of that, Dan? I don't know. Like, so, you know, sometimes when you're on the phone, you're like, some people pace around. they like looking everywhere. Yeah. And sometimes you think you see something you see, but it's not actually there. Um, I don't think it's like one of those things because. I think his first problem is he was talking to Britney Spears. Yeah. <laughs> we already know she's a clone. No. But seriously, yeah, I mean, it could be. The rational thing you want to say is that. He was out there by himself. There's no other person to verify it. It could be a hallucination um, or something could have been in his cigarette, you know, could have made him trip for might have been like a small dose of DMT. I don't know. How long has he been like filming, recording? You know, it could be tired. Exactly. Like hallucination. Dude, I've I've had some hallucinations when I used to work a long time ago. I used to work very, very. I still do work, work long hours, but. A long time ago, I used to work very, very long hours, night shift, and I would drive home and I would see, literally, I would hallucinate because I would be so tired. I would see rabbits running across the road or skulls coming through my window. I was super sleep deprived. But yeah, you can hallucinate when you, when you don't have enough sleep. So 
that you could be right. That could be it. I don't know though. Yeah, this, but that's strange though. To right after that to have his show canceled and to shut down. Yeah. So obviously, uh, why would they film? Why would they? They already have the money for it. Why would the people shut it down after they already paid the money? After they got finished filming their episodes for the UFO show, why would they shut it down? Other than people didn't want them to know what they were talking about, right? There's no other logical reason to shut it down for them not for other other than them not wanting to people to hear what they were talking about. I actually kind of want to see this uh, documentary thing now. Yeah, it's I called Out There. Out There. Yeah, Out There documentary. Dan Out Aykroyd's Out There TV series, IMDb. In 2002, Sci-Fi Channel, later named Sci-Fi, greenlit the Hollywood actor and UFO enthusiast Dan Aykroyd's talk show about the paranormal. Although dozens of episodes were filmed, the show got canceled and never aired. It says the official reason for the cancellation of the show was creative differences, as the studio wanted a, com- a more comedic and wacky show while Aykroyd wanted more or less serious, straightforward discussions about UFO and the paranormal with both other celebrities and regular folk. Aykroyd himself believes the sudden cancellation may have been something that had to do with the fact that the day the show got canceled by studio head, he was supposed to film an interview with UFOologist Stephen M. Green and UFO conspiracy theorist Stephen G. Bassett for the show. Holy shit, according to Aykroyd, 26 episodes were filmed overall in 2002, but none of them aired, and they've been in the studio's vault ever since, ever since. Dude, you know how much that's got to suck? You do all that work, and then they're like, no. So creative differences, but why would there be more creative differences? They've, they've, that would be something you discuss and have before you start filming, right? Yeah. You discuss the how you want the show to be, if you want it comedic and wacky, or you want a straightforward serious. Because after, tw- I mean, fuck, at three or four episodes, you should already have that figured out. Before filming, you should already have that figured out. And you're telling me 26 episodes in, they had a difference and said, no, we want it more comedic, we're canceling it? <sighs> no. Anyways, that's interesting. You know, that whole thing's interesting and weird. Thought we'd discuss it, you know. So, do you want to cover the uh, Spaceman photograph, the next one we have? So, the next one we got is the Spaceman photograph and MIB visit afterwards. So, in 1960, a guy named Jim Templeton took a photo of his daughter near Berg Marsh, which is in the United Kingdom. What up, UK? I'm sure everyone has heard or seen this photograph. It is the picture of a little girl sitting in a green pasture in what looks like a picnic. And behind her is an unexplained figure in the distance who honestly kind of looks like a spaceman in an astronaut outfit. By the way, if you want to see the photo, you can go to our Instagram under our story highlights named episode and you can see it there. Yeah, so we're looking at this episode, not episode, this image, and literally looks like an astronaut outfit that's blown up. Yeah, it's, Dude, that thing's funny looking. <laughs> it, it, it looks kind of fake. I mean, he's just kind of, the photo is the little girl standing there and then the astronaut's kind of just like, peeping out the corner of her head in the distance, leaning over saying, oh, what's up, guys? It looks like a toy. It looks like an astronaut toy. Somebody in the background, like, kneeled down and leaned that toy over to so it just shows it. It's, it's a very weird photo. So, yeah, if you want to see it, go to our Instagram and under our story highlights, you can see it. Yeah. So the photo itself is pretty strange, but what happened shortly after that photo was taken is even stranger. 
So the day after Jim Templeton took the photo, he was he was at work when a car arrived with two men who claimed to be working for the government. When Jim asked them for them to identify themselves, they refused and just showed him codes on their badges and that said number nine and number ten. Jim was skeptical because he said their badges pointed to no specific government agency, but he agreed to get in the car with them and drive back to the marsh, which is where he took the picture, to answer their questions. Man, I would not be getting in no car with someone named number nine, number ten. Android nine and Android ten. What the hell? <laughs> like, what happened to one through eight? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got questions now. <laughs> so Jim said that the questions were pretty strange, apart from the expected ones like where did where had it happened and whether there were any other witnesses. They also want to know about the weather conditions and the behavior of the animals in the area. Jim told them that the domestic animals in the area had seemed scared on the day in question and had huddled together for protection. It was after stating this that the men became much more hostile toward Jim and started questioning the validity of his story. So, I mean, the animals were scared. Oh, really? Like all up in his face. You're wrong. Though you didn't see the damn animals huddled together. You're wrong, Jim. Are you Dr. Doolittle? Can you talk to them animals? Do you know they were scared? (laughs) That's so... That's, I mean, why would they be pissed off about that, you know? So, Jim became scared for his life and tried to explain the story to them again and prove that he was telling the truth. The men seemed unconvinced and headed back to their car. They drove off and simply left Jim there at the spot where he took the picture without a car or way back to work. What a bunch of assholes. <laughs> you ain't telling us the truth, Jim. See yeah, you later. You know, you know, Jim deserved it. He got in a car with number nine and number ten. <laughs> Now we know what happened to number one through eight. They got fucking left at the march, too. <laughs> it's like, oh, why? Oh, my God. I don't know. That is odd. If that really happened to him after he took the picture, that is that is odd. Because, number one, That's very odd. they would have to know that he took the picture and for it to happen so soon after he took it. Hmm. But, I mean, you're looking at the image. It looks like a bright, sunny day. <laughs> You know, nice enough to have a picnic. The sky's blue, little little bit of clouds, a little bit of astronaut man in the background, you know, nothing too crazy. Maybe a little windy with her hair that way. The guy just poked his head out. I don't know. I, I don't know what to think about that. I think that one's more hmm, fake maybe. But how would they know unless this is what I think. If that truly did happen and they came and visited him, the, the, this, these elusive people, he had to go get that picture developed from someone. The person who developed his picture is a snitch. 100%. Yeah. So they must have got the f- the people who develop photos to snitch. So that's who they should be looking into. That's who we should look into is the photo Ooh. developers, not these other people that are getting investigated. Yeah. Mm. So um, just a side note, when I was doing some research, uh, when I was doing some research, and reading up about these men in black, I did come across something very weird, okay? A lot of these people who have been contacted by these men in black, because there's a lot of people that are supposedly have been contacted by them, they have said that these men in black have actually asked if there's a microwave oven in the home, and they'd warned them not to turn it, turn it on. A lot of them, like a giant number of them, who have been contacted by them. They say they knock on the door, they open the door, the men in black come in, they start asking them about UFOs or if they've seen anything or talked about anything. But before that, they say, is there a microwave oven in the home? Do not turn it on. No delicious food for us. No Pop-Tarts, please. 
No, I just find that weird that a lot of them experience that. Mm, must be them waves. Yeah. So now we hop into thoughts and theories about the men in black. Um, do you want me to cover my first thought and theory about who they can be or what they are? Yes, go for it. So my first theory about who the men in black could be. Um, I call this one the cleanup crew. So imagine this. The men in black are an intergalactic or an interdimensional cleanup crew. So these men in black are sent in after an event, a UFO crash or something, to investigate who saw what and to fix any problems before they become problems. A lot of these encounters say they felt threatened by them. This is because they're working to keep a lid on things as tight as possible. This cleanup crew is contacted by some intergalactic federation or some interdimensional federation that has authority and oversees Earth's development. You know, something I've never thought about uh, when we think about like intergalactic aliens and races and we view the entire thing as like, um, is, is all of them like living in space, right? Like aliens and other other beings and all that living in space. I've never really envisioned a dimension like the movie on Stranger Things, like the upside down world, like the interdimension, like instead of the aliens or whatever being in space, they're actually in another dimension. And that's where ghosts, Bigfoot, Loch Ness and all other types of crazy shit originates from. And these men in black are from there. And have to, and they're like a, an agreement with our government and other world leaders that they have to make sure that nothing crosses over into our world. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Hmm? I like that. I like that. So that that's one of mine. So you said you had you had one. So mine is just something I'm gonna say. It, I brought the Montauk chair back again. Ooh. Y'all gonna get sick yes. and tired of me about this. I love it. Let's buy one, dude. I wish. Fucking, I'd strap myself into that. I probably don't have no fucking psychic powers, but I'm going to try it. If we got a Montauk chair. I would. You guys, you guys want to see a live stream. If you don't like listening to us or if you do like listening to us, but you would rather watch us while we talk and you want to see Dan strapped into a Montauk chair, let us know. I'll strap him in for you. I'm more than willing. <laughs> strap me in that chair. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Either, Either I'm going to bring Bigfoot or I'm going to turn into a Bigfoot. Who knows? <laughs> you imagine that you roll. roll oh, shit. Dan's on the loose. Tase him. Tase Unplug him. <laughs> Unplug the chair. Unplug the chair. I can see me and Donnie jumping on your back trying to wrestle you down. <laughs> Anyways. So I was trying to find more information on him and see what I could try to put together. And I saw that there was just a little connection with the Men in Black to the Montauk chair. Okay. So, you know how they, how we said that, you know, the government gathered people like, you know, homeless people and kids and all that for the testing for the Montauk chair? Yep. Who were the people going and collecting these homeless people and kids? The government. The government, the men in black. Okay. So my theory is that the men in black is part of the government, you know, pretty much like an unaffiliated group. So they're like their own little separate branch that no one knows about. And that they are the ones that actually go and like, you know, you said that there's like 12,618 UFO reports from that Project Blue Book, you know, Project Blue Book. Yep. Out of those reports, I know that some people must have gone missing. Yeah, it's got to be. Got to be. So 
what better way to do that is to get rid of people that have seen sightings of UFOs and stuff and then use them for experimentation. Mm. So the men in black went, got these people, certain ones that, you know, that their stories were not that believable. They didn't really bother with them too much. But the ones that were really believable that we probably don't even hear about are the ones that are taken, considered homeless, mm. and then tested on. Damn. Okay. I liked how you weave that web. I, I weaved it. It's a small web. But it's a web nonetheless, and it's a web that contains the Mong Talk chair. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to bring Bigfoot to real life, guys. Just wait. <laughs> yeah. Regardless, we're going to catch that son of a bitch here pretty soon. So. Yeah, and he's he's gonna be the first person we bring on the interview. Well, second person. Yeah. It's it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, all right. So that covers the Men in Black, or at least covers you know it covers the basis. So you people gives you something to think about. It allows you to go and look up these documents for yourself to verify them for yourself. You heard eyewitness accounts from multiple military members from a guy who's worth one hundred thirty-five million dollars. Um. It, it allows you to, we didn't dive super deep into it, but it allows you to start questioning uh, for yourself and start looking for yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and that's what we're here. We're here to give you the facts. We're here to give it to you and not tell you what opinions to have, but to let you form your own based on what we give you, you know? Um, with that being said, we're going to roll into reviews, voicemails, shoutouts, and announcements. So this first one is from Colin Sally, S-A-L-L-E-E. It was on January 12th, and it is a one star. The subject line that reads, wow. They go on to say, this might be good if any of you were even a little bit intelligent. Thank you for that, Colin. I guess we'll just keep moving on. You anything you want to say to him, Dan? I don't know. I'm not dumb. I'm not smart enough to really answer that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this next review was on January 13th. It's from CXGGSVU. Title or the subject is Great Podcast. They left us five stars and they go on to say, uh, Great podcast so far. Too bad it's only once a week. Good topics and great facts. Keep up the great work. Skull Vikings. Thank you for the five stars, CXGGSVU. We'll let Donnie know you said that, and he should be back shortly. He took a little sabbatical. So, is that the right word? Sabbatical? sabbatical. I don't know. We could just sabbatical. say leave of absence. Yeah, he took a little leave of a leave of absence. Uh, we will reread the review whenever he gets back. Or not, you know. Or not. Screw the Vikings. Yeah. Go Tampa Bay. I'm, jumping, Tampa. On, I'm jumping on that bandwagon with you, Dan. Fire the cannons. all right so the next review is on january 16th and it is from (laughs) mayor mcdick cheese it is a five star with a subject line that reads one of the best they go on to say not being talked down to not being told the official story is the only one not trying to debunk everything very glad to find this thank you mayor mcdick cheese i love the name and I'm glad very, we can Yeah, I'm glad we can provide you some information on conspiracies or the information on the truth or some information of some, you know, official things that you like to hear about. So thank you for that. Yes, thank you. This next one is from D Swear 54. 
It was on January 16th. It is five stars. Subject line is great podcast slash ghost story. They go on to say, hello, I want to start off and say I love the podcast. It has been great for my long commute to and from work. I wanted to share a ghost story with you regarding an incident at work. I am in law enforcement and currently working in the county jail. One night, my partner and I were working on the sixth floor, which is for enhanced observation housing, a.k.a. suicide watch for simpler terms. I'm going to stop this right quick. Uh, do you think he had anything to do with Jeffrey Epstein before we You want to take a guess? Ooh. I'm going to guess. I don't know, sixth floor suicide watch? I guess they, oh yeah, I guess he was on Suicide Watch, wasn't he? Yeah, he was on Suicide Watch. Oh. I don't know. We'll, we'll go forward and see. It'd be interesting yeah, we'll if he go. did. Um, so it goes on to say, we have to do security checks of this housing unit every 15 minutes. Each housing unit has a top and bottom tier, two stories. So I started a security check and was walking to the bottom tier. The top tier has rails along the side so people can't jump over the side. As I was walking to the bottom tier... I see a full shadow of a grown man walking the top tier right above me. I automatically assumed it was my partner as we were very busy and I didn't know exactly where he was prior to my security check. So I call out to him saying, hey, Jamerson, as I look up the stairs, I don't see anyone. And my partner peeks his head from outside the housing unit asking what I needed. Later on, I told a few of the other guys at work about the experience, and a couple of them attested to seeing figures and unexplained shadows on that floor. It's not much, but it was definitely weird looking back on. Anyways, keep up the great work, and thanks for the entertainment. Daniel. That's his name. Daniel Power. So, uh, man, that's an interesting ghost story. I thought he was going to go the Epstein route, but he went the ghost route. I was thinking Epstein. Maybe um, the figure was Epstein. <laughs> maybe it was Epstein. So, I mean, multiple multiple security guards seen a, seen a figure walking on that floor. Sadly, we can't get footage of it since it's a yeah, it's security a, place. It's a, yeah, it's a facility. They probably won't let you bring phones in. You probably have to keep them at a locker. But I, um, I had something very similar happen at a work. And I don't want to give away too much information. But somewhere similar. There was a person doing a routine watch and they go into one section of the place and they come back out of that section screaming, saying they saw a dog with green eyes or a werewolf with green eyes. And of course, people go down there to search that area and there's no way out of it without coming to where we were. And, uh, there was no werewolf with green eyes. So she was sent out to a psych eval, eval and she passed it. And she still to this day says that there was a green eyed werewolf down there. So either Edward Cullen is at, at that place or there is a green eyed werewolf in the hidings. But anyways, so kind of similar, I guess. But in regards Wait, wasn't to Edward Cullen, the vampire. Yeah. Wait, it would have been Jacob, right? Would yes. Been, yeah. Oh, what if? Uh, I do not. I do not watch that. I do not watch that show. Anyways, I have not read the box. <laughs> I have not read every single book. <laughs> I do not put glitter Tame. on myself and go outside. <laughs> Tame Jacob. 
Team Edward. Uh, anyways, so... Cut all that shit out. <laughs> I'm not cutting that. So, have you ever seen a shadow person, Daniel? Oh, man. I mean, other than my actual ghost story where I was in my friend's house, that, I guess, shadow that was going back and forth. Oh, yeah. That, I remember that. Dude, that, that shit freaked me out. Mm. So, yeah. So, shoot us a message, Daniel, uh, the Daniel who wrote us this. I would like some more information as to like if you have seen anything else or maybe some more stories about what other people saw at the jail. Uh, I mean, I would really like to ask for footage, but I know that's probably not possible. Yeah, I don't think it would be possible. Not with other inmates inside there and stuff like that. Yeah. Anyways, so let's go to the next one. Um, The next one is uh, on January 16th. It is five stars. It is from... TH38IGod, and with a subject line that reads, the, My Favorite Show. They go on to say, Just want to say, keep it up, guys. I love your show. I check every day for a new show. Love your topics and theories. And dope to find out y'all are gamers. Gamer tags, please. Mine is TH38IGod. Um, hmm. I was a, actually, I know for a fact, me and Daniel were both huge gamers. I mean, uh, Used to, I used to play a lot of World of Warcraft, a lot of Diablo. I'm pretty psyched for Diablo 4. Um, but yes. to be completely honest with you now, this podcast, any gaming time I really have, it sucks it up, to be completely honest. I wish I could game as much as I, as I used to, but I'm just so busy with work. And when I'm not working, I'm working on the podcast as much as I can to make sure that Thursday's episode is out, you know? So, yeah, I'm not going to lie, though. When I got bathroom time, it's Summoner's War. Yeah, so TH38IGod, if you do any mobile gaming, check out Summoner's War. It's a pretty fun game. Uh, if you start playing it, shoot us a email or uh, Instagram or Facebook message, and we'll give mine and Daniel's screen name to you so you can add us as a friend on the game. Or if anybody else wants to add us on Summoner's War that plays it, just holler at us. It's a pretty fun game. And mobile game, you know, while you sit on the toilet or whatever, you know. Helps pass the time. Yep. So the next one uh, is from Thug Nugget 33 It was on January 16th. It is five stars, and the subject is T-O-T-T-K is dope as hell. They go on to say, after listening to all the episodes, I feel like I can give an honest opinion. I love it. I really can't wait till the show is on YouTube. I know you butthole lovers don't accept money from chupacabras, <laughs> Bigfoot, frog people, underlords. But what about real fans that want to help push you guys to the next level? This podcast is so dope. I would definitely support some merchandise. Hint, hint. Thug Nugget approved. <laughs> Thug so, Nugget. I like it. I love Thug Nugget's name. So uh, thank you, Thug Nugget, Nugget for that. Um, so a couple days ago, I was actually working on some, me and Daniel were working on some t-shirt designs. So... Eventually, we're going to roll out some merchandise when I don't know. We're still working on merchandise, still trying to find uh, the best avenue to push it out. All this merchandise is going to probably go to hosting costs and studio upgrade stuff. So it's not going to be like for us personally, you know. But yeah, we're definitely going to be rolling out some merch here soon. And we got some other things in the works, but that'll be at a later date just takes time with everything with us working full-time jobs and us you know trying to get an episode out every thursday it just 
it's just, uh, you know, we don't have that much time. So, anyways. Yep. Thank you, Thug Nugget. Merchandise will come soon. This next one, it was on January 17th. It's from Finesse God Taco. He or she left a five star with a subject line that reads, duh. They go on to say, just saw my own review. We're on the simulation episode. Awesome. 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 I don't really know what to say besides thank you for the five stars, Finesse God Taco. I love tacos. I'm sure you love tacos. Daniel loves tacos. Dude, love tacos. Mm. Can't get enough of them. Crunchy or soft? Crunchy. Ooh, I like soft. I like the Dorito Crunchy Tacos. Now, see, those I love. Ooh, I can't get enough of them. Not a big fan of the Chalupas, though. Nah, I don't really like Chalupas either. Anyways, uh, thank you, Finesse God Taco. Yes, thank you. So this next one was on January 18th. It is from Jenna MK. <laughs> they gave okay. us a three star with a subject line that reads, meh. They go on to say, this was my go-to podcast for conspiracy theories for the longest time. The info, the humor, it was great. I'm not sure where the last few episodes went, but it's not enjoyable to listen to anymore. I used to look forward to new episodes, but I found a different conspiracy podcast to listen to. After not listening for a bit, I've tried to listen to the couple of the latest episodes and couldn't last more than a few minutes. Well, I'm sorry. Yes, we're sorry to hear that. Shoot us a message. Tell us exactly what's changed besides um, the humor, the info. Give us details. Don't hold back either. And see if, uh, you know, it's something that maybe we were unaware of that has changed. I mean, if it's me that, because I joined, you could definitely let me know that. I, I won't be too hurt. She I said might the cry last, a little bit. Shit, the last few episodes, you joined like a long time ago, so... Hey, she could listen to the very first ones where I wasn't even involved. The very first once ones. Once it got I mean, to me. She said couldn't last for a few minutes on the recent episodes, but for the past episodes she could, I would be extremely surprised. Her past episodes quality, horrible compared to, to, to now. It sounded so hollow and unprofessional. It's, it's probably my reading. No. No, it's not. Anyways. Um, I can't read good. But thank you for the three stars. Again, Jenna. Contact us, shoot me an email or something, and we could figure something out. Yes, we would love to keep you as a listener. Yep. Um, so this n- last one, it was on January 19th. It's from Channy Rabbit. They give us five stars in the subject line that reads Simulation Theory. They go on to say something to look into on the simulation theory and maybe cloning would be doppelganger. I think we kind of touched that, right? With the human cloning, with... Well, not really doppelgangers, but yeah, not really doppelgangers. Human celebrity or celebrities having the daughter or sons that People were clones. That yeah, but Chad, uh, Will Ferrell in the Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer, Chad, dude, oh, yeah. they're doppelgangers and they look exactly alike. They could be clones, are part of the glitch in the simulation theory. I admit, I have seen four people that could have been my doppelganger. Really? Yes. So one time at a Mexican restaurant. They had photos, I guess, of people that come in there. There was a guy that looked just like me. First time me ever being in there. There's a guy that looked just like me. Then uh, my family actually sent me a photo off a movie where they asked, like, hey, Dan, we didn't know you were an actor. This, I guess, random in the movie looked just like me. Damn. And I'm just like, holy shit. (laughs) And I think another one I saw while I was traveling for work. 
Damn, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a doppelganger of myself. It's weird you've seen so many of you. Maybe you're just so desirable that they want a clone of you. I mean, what can I say? You're, you're a desirable man. They keep trying to remake me and it's not working out well. <laughs> so, uh, thank you, Chaney Rabbit, for the five stars and for the suggestion for us to talk about. Um, Let's see. So the voicemails, we got a couple of them. Actually, we got three, four. We have four of them, but we're going to save them for next week. So if you're listening and you're like, damn it, it's okay. Just wait. We're going to go over them next week. Okay. If you want to submit another one, go ahead. Feel free to submit however many you want. We're just going to save them for next week. Um, so now we go into emails, Instagram, Facebook, all that good messages. For the emails, we have a couple. Okay. One email we got was from Avery, your local paranoid hacker girl, with a subject line that reads, can we hack our way out of the matrix? They go on to say, I've been thinking a lot about the matrix hypothesis lately, even before listening to your show. I do tend to be a skeptical person, but sometimes I like to think, what if? I like that it might be possible to hack our way out of the matrix, but it would be very difficult. I think if the simulation would likely be run on a series of redundant clustered quantum computers, I know that quantum computing is a pretty big buzzword, but hold on and stick with me. If the machine overlords have extremely fast processing by utilizing quantum computing, they would likely use a program testing called fuzzing. Fuzzing is where a programmer runs a program down every possible path the program could possibly take to determine errors in the code. By fuzzing their code before deploying it down our simulation, they could eliminate most, if not all, possible bugs and exploits, which we could take advantage of in order to escape. It's hard to hack through a program that has been tested through every possible path and subsequently repaired to prevent... Oh, shit repaired to prevent bugs. I also think that the machine overlords could be using some sort of self-healing program, similar to how microkernels work. By separating the matrix into many smaller components, a single component could fail and the rest of the matrix would keep chugging along. The matrix could automatically detect when one component has failed and restart it from a backup point before the error occurred. To all the gamers out there, this is similar to using a save state before a big boss battle in case something goes wrong. Oh, yeah. If the Matrix is self-healing, we might be able to take part of it down, but would quickly be restored to a point before we caused any actual damage. Sorry for the tech jargon and paranoid rambling, but having some knowledge on certain topics can make relatable theories seem more plausible. I love the show despite remaining skeptical about some of the theories. I encourage you to keep your dicks hard and out for coincidences that just seem a little bit too suspicious to take at face value. <laughs> they go on to say, <laughs> this is the best part. P.S. Is it gay to suck a homie's dick if we're actually living in the Matrix? It's, if I, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I think it's not because you're only simulating sucking a homie's dick and not actually sucking a dick in the real world. I, now, are y'all making eye contact? <laughs> uh, yeah. Are you making eye contact? That's that's what counts. Um, 
So hold on, we'll discuss that later. But I want to go back to what uh, Avery was saying. Um, so she's very knowledgeable very. in. This is what I like to hear, though. Do what? Like, she's very knowledgeable. This is the shit I like to hear. Yeah, extremely knowledgeable, and I love to hear stuff like this. Um, fuzzing, I, I didn't know that that's what that was called. But in a self-healing program, that's, I mean, all that's an excellent theory. Jeez. And I wouldn't say it's paranoid rambling. It's not very paranoid rambling. You're just expanding your thoughts, you know, to that subject and thinking about the possibilities. Paranoid rambling would be something like, oh my God, the reptilians are going to come get us and butt rape us all. That's paranoid rambling. Truth though. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch your butthole. Anyways, uh, oh God, do you think we're in a matrix? A self-healing matrix? If we were, that would be how it works, I think. So, what she so said. So would that, like, the self-healing matrix, would that explain, like, the deja vu and stuff? It could be. It could be. The self-healing and restarting at a restore point could be a deja vu. We fucked up and sent us back to a point to where the machine didn't fuck up. So like in the Matrix when Neo saw the cat and he's like, oh, deja vu. There is no deja vu. And they're like, what? Yeah. Hmm. God, that's such good. Dude, that's good shit. That's a good, such a good theory. Yeah, it is. I love that. Hey, uh, Avery, if you're listen, listening, send us some more stuff like the that real MVP. If, if you have any. You're the real MVP. And is it gay to suck a homie's dick if we're living in the Matrix? I don't know. We'll let Donnie answer that question when he comes back next week. We already probably know his answer. Or whenever. Skull yeah. Vikings. Yeah, we br- just Skull Vikings fucking suck on this horde. No. <laughs> but yeah, uh, thank you for the email. We love you. If you want to send more, feel free to send as much as you like. Definitely. We'd love to hear more. All right. This, uh, let's see. And so another email we got was from Ray. He goes, hey, man, just started listening to the show about a week ago, and I love it. You guys do a great job researching and presenting the information about each topic. If you ever need or want someone else to come on the show, I'd like to. None of my friends are into this stuff, and I've always been deep into it uh, since the whole Epstein thing. I have a bunch of thoughts bouncing around in my head that I'd love to have a conversation with someone about. And Keep up the good work. Thank you, Ray. Uh, I'll switch your email back, see what, uh, what theories and stuff you have going on in that head, and we can discuss a few things. This next email, um, we get an email from Brandon B. He goes, sup guys, not going to lie. I'm a little envious of Don and Jake from State Farm. I guess him and he's jealous of Donnie and uh, Jake's relationship. Anyways, my New Year's resolution was to send an email at least once a month to give some feedback. Aaron, Don is always giving you shit about editing out some conversations. (laughs) That's true. How about a minute or two at the end with some out of the outtakes? Just remember, guys, it's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Dot, dot, dot. Shout out from Lexington, South Carolina. Backwoods, Brandon. <laughs> Thank you, Backwoods, Brandon, for the email. I would love an email once a month giving us some feedback on the show, Definitely. criticizing us, tell us how much we suck, and all that good stuff. Um, I just, it was funny you mentioned about the outtakes, okay? I do edit out some conversations. I try to do the editing to where it's not. We do have some long pauses. We have some mishaps, like me getting stung by a scorpion last week. I took that, that out. That was funny, but though. It was scary. It was funny. It was scary because I thought I was going into like an anaphylactic shock or something. 
I've, I've thought about taking all those bloopers and like maybe making a once a month or once every three months blooper outreel episode and just throwing it together in addition to a regular Thursday episode and releasing I mean, it. If y'all could have heard, I think it was, yeah, I think it was last week where my bathroom sink decided to fl- try to flood the bathroom. Luckily, we didn't start yes. filming yet or not filming, recording. Oh, if you could have recorded me underneath that sink. I got wide shoulders, man. Yeah. That's a small bathroom sink. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of things that happen while we record that are taken out that I'm really thinking about considering making a blooper outtake, just an episode once every few months of the outtakes that I'm probably going to end up doing. I've already talked to somebody else about it, and they mentioned the same thing. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to move forward with it. You know, I think it would be great. People are going to be offended. So you can look... Oh, yeah, especially from Donnie. Jesus Christ. No wonder he's a king of inappropriate jokes, guys. So be ready because, man. But also life knowledge. Life knowledge. Yes. Life knowledge indeed. All right. So our last email is from Erica B. She goes on to say, so I have a few stories of my husband uh, I'd like to share with you all. We listen to you guys every night while we deliver papers. We're all caught up now. So we're having to wait once a week to hear you all now. Sad face. Uh, they go on to say, anyways, back to the story. Me and him split up for over a year, and he went all of 2019 backpacking and driving across the United States. He went to 48 out of the 50 states and came back with some crazy stories. We are now back together, and I'd like to tell you some of the things he's seen. And the craziest thing is the really crazy stories happened right here where we have lived most of our lives. The first story I'm going to share with you is about the crazy people you should watch out for. It was this past May, Memorial Day weekend. It was hot. He wanted to get a drink and cool off in the river. Everything was packed, so it led him to sort of be pushed off to a place he hadn't been before, not unusual for him. At this point, he's lived off the grid and from a vehicle to tent for almost a year, so he carries a gun and knives because he has seen and had to deal with some crazy shit by now. So he finds a spot on the river, pulls over, gets out, starts cooking some ravioli, then he's going to eat and go cool off. He's eating, and out of the woods walks a guy. Now, I'm secluded in the woods, no houses around. He's wearing a button-up shirt and cut-off shorts. I pay no attention at this time to his many tattoos. He walks up, starts bullshitting back and forth about the area and the stranger's girlfriend uh, where is it at? In the area and the stranger's girlfriend, and it seemed pretty friendly enough. My husband wasn't really listening and more worried about eating and cooling off. So my husband starts walking towards the river and the stranger follows. The stranger starts unbuttoning his shirt. Oh shit, where is this going? (laughs) No, the stranger starts unbuttoning his shirt. When they get to the water, the stranger takes off his shirt and says, if you don't want them, don't look at them. My husband was like, What? and looked at the man's tattoos and started noticing the symbols and writing. Didn't seem right, and why was this nut trying to draw my attention to them and starts to walk into the water? Then he starts rambling on about how it had to be natural death. He remembers this clearly and started walking towards him, rambling more and more. The water was very swift, rough current. He saw my husband's cross on his neck and said, Oh, you serve the righteous one, huh? And my husband didn't even blink or think. He just blurted out, yes, like something forced him to say it. He had his gun on his side, covered with his shirt. He had it off, but tucked it in the side of his pants. The stranger walks towards him, 
from the water, getting louder about death, having to be natural. So my husband now has his hand on his gun, huh? you know, rightfully so. But uh, the stranger isn't paying attention to this. A family comes walking behind my husband, which probably saved either the strange man's or my husband's life because the man stopped his rambling and walking towards my husband. So my husband takes this as an out. So he starts walking towards his truck. He's smoking a cigarette and hands still on his gun. He walks towards his truck with this guy behind him the whole time yelling at him how lucky he was. Just over and over. You're lucky. You're lucky. My husband, by this time, had noticed that this guy's tattoos that cover every inch of his body had satan- were satanic markings. He gets to the truck and throws his gun on the hood and says, No, motherfucker, you're lucky. What, is, what, a, what a badass, what a badass. dude. Uh, you're lucky. Because I'm the type of guy not to even leave a cigarette butt behind to show I was even here. And flipped it in the bed of his truck. The stranger throws his hands up, says, No problems, witness, I'll go about my way. He kept calling him the witness the whole time. So he walks back into the woods. My husband gets into his truck and drives up the road. U-turns and goes back and goes back down the road and sees the stranger and a large group of people that had all had the same tattoos and looked like an occult. He thinks they were going to try to sacrifice him that day on the river had the family not shown up behind him. I have more of the stories that get crazier but are longer. James and Erica B., Dude, that was a great story. Uh, 100%, the guy was a part of the cult. I can tell you that right now. From the way he was acting, the way he was talking, uh, maybe not so as tattoos, but maybe it might have played a a role in it. He might have been part of some satanic cult. He might have been part of some uh, magic cult. I don't know. Uh, I'd have to see his tattoos, but I'm very familiar with cults, as I used to be a leader of one, and I used to be a participant of one. So, But we never sacrificed anybody. Those are more of the darker cults. So, um, yeah, glad the family walked up behind them. Yeah, definitely. But it sounds like your husband could carry himself with a gun, you know, or could could have taken care of it with himself with his gun. But I'm glad he didn't have to. Yeah, that's you know, it's good to have the gun there, but it's to actually have to use it is still another thing. Yeah, um, there is a lot of cults that live in the woods. That's all I can really say about it. You know. We very soon will do an episode over cults. It's very interesting to talk about some of the most famous cults in history. Um, but thank you for listening to us. Thank you for the great email. Shoot us another one. I would love to hear more stories like that. That's Definitely. super interesting. Um, thank you for listening to us while you deliver papers. And uh, try not to get you know kidnapped by any uh, more cults or anything like that. And if you do, send us a video of it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, anyways, thank you for listening. Thanks for the love. Shoot us another email. We'd love to hear back from you. That's all, that's all the emails I have for today. So I want to give a couple shout out to Jason Likes Tattoos, to Lane G, and Cisco Selfmade. They all sent us some good messages with theories on them. We're going to save those for Theories Thursday. And I just want to acknowledge him, let him know that we got him. We're saving him from Theories Thursday. If we didn't get to your email, if we didn't give to your shout out, if we didn't get to your any of your stuff, we're, we're going to cover it. 
because of media hosting and time limits, we're unable to cover everything. Facebook shout outs will be next week when Donnie gets back. So if you're waiting for a Facebook shout out, that's will be next week. So with that being said, uh, I don't have any announcements or anything. You got anything to add, Dan? Nope. All right. So I guess that wraps up today's episode for the Men in Black. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, remember you can go to theoriesofthethirdkind.com or you can go to tot3k.com. You can click the contact button there. You'll find our email addresses. And also there on our website is links to our Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Uh, Dan has started running the Twitter. I'll have to put a link up to our Twitter so you guys can go follow that if you even do Twitter or not. I don't, I don't, I don't do it, but what if you do like do it more. At underscore TOT3K. Yeah, it's something weird like that. So yeah. I'll, I'll I'll put a link up to it so you guys can go chit chat or if you're, you're on Twitter. On there. Yeah. Uh, anyways, all right, Dan. So do you want to roll us out? I'll give it a shot. All right, guys. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts because you're not alone. <laughs>